It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. One of the traps we fall into is uh, seeing a guy who's really young and really good and saying, okay, he's you know, 23 years old. Oh, think about how good he's going to be when he's 25. I, I like to call this Freddie Freeman disease. Just because a player is really good at a young age doesn't mean he's going to get better as he approaches what we typically consider to be a, a person's prime. Uh, sometimes, sometimes these guys are just that good when they, uh, when they, when they arrive and they don't get better and there's nothing wrong with that. And, uh, we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't put unnecessary uh, unnecessary stress on them to uh, to be better for us. Episode 69 of Flags Fly Forever, a baseball prospectus fantasy podcast. I am your host, Brett Sayer, and with me, as always, is Mike Gianella and George Bissell. How are you guys doing on this uh, nice evening? I'm, I'm doing great, although I, I wonder how many faves and retweets this podcast is going to get. <laughs> Probably more than it deserves. <laughs> Well, you guys are both Mets fans, but as sort of an impartial baseball fan, this World Series has been fantastic. Just if you're a casual baseball fan, this has been awesome through one-plus games. We're recording <laughs> this in the middle of game two. So. We're in the middle of game two, and I, I have it paused in the fifth inning. So Yeah, we're, we're an inning ahead of Mike, um, so this is going to get weird as we record. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm hoping Brett doesn't you know say anything you know, or, or scream or, or cry or do anything that would give it away. I think I did this the last time we recorded, too. I don't remember which game it was, but I 
I did the same thing. Oh, must have been the first. Must have been the Dodgers series. The Dodgers series. I, I don't remember which game it was though. Yeah. Well, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Good luck to you too in the present. Thanks. Um, you can read all of us at baseballperspectus.com. You can find us on Twitter. I am at Dynasty Guru. Mike is at Mike Gianella. That's G I A N E L L A. And George is at George Bissell. It's two S's and two L's. Uh, you can email us as a podcast, flags fly forever at baseballperspectus.com. And uh, rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher and all of that jazz. Um, we, um, we have a uh, a normal off season podcast for you tonight. Not uh, don't expect to run too long, but going to cover some uh, some fun topics. We are going to spend a little while talking about um, valuations because it's uh, it's that time of year. We are uh, looking back on uh, on what happened in 2015 and uh, really putting everyone to the test and uh, seeing what we can seeing what we can learn for for 2016. Uh, so Mike's going to jump into that a little bit and then George has uh, crafted a bunch of uh, questions that he's going to fire at us which should be quite interesting. Um, but before then I want to get into a a brief topic um, before uh, before the valuations. So we talked last year right around this time about about people that get too um, infatuated with players' playoff performances and how it affects their following year uh, prices and and values. So um, I thought, given given the fact that we've seen a couple of the big the couple of the top performers from last postseason uh, continue some of that high performance, um, I'm I'm curious to know if if either of your thoughts have changed on this subject at all in in the last twelve months. Uh, so, Mike, I want I want to start with you. Um, how how do you feel about this effect now, and uh, is that different than uh, than how you felt in the past? It, it's mostly unchanged. I I, I still kind of hold to some of the same things I, I said last year, which is you're not really going to see a lot of things that, that influence how I value players or, or how I draft players. You know, the, 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 there's one big takeaway, or there's a couple big takeaways I, I think about, which is the Royals, I, I think they were underestimated last year. You know, everybody outside of baseball prospectus, you know, keeps talking about the Pakoda 72 win or, or whatever was projection. And, and some people jokingly or maybe not jokingly say it was one of the worst projections, you know, that's ever been made. And, you know, one of the takeaways for me is, is that the Royals are, were a pretty good team last year. And I think everybody sort of underestimated them, even as they were getting to game seven of the world series. And some of the values I, I saw in some of the published values on them were down. Uh, you know, the other takeaway, and this is kind of on the other side of it, there's always this speculation about what the postseason is going to do. And one of the big you know pieces last year was Madison Bumgarner and all the innings he logged and, and how ineffective or how he was an injury risk, you know, and Madison Bumgarner went out and from a fantasy perspective and some of the wins, but he had the best season of his career, and he pitched a bunch of innings, and he was Madison Bumgarner. So I think there's two sides. On the one side, you still want to be careful not to look at a very small sample size and, and say, well, you know, this means something. But if there's a team like the Royals that's underestimated, that players across the board are being looked at as not quite as good as they should be, 
it's not a bad idea to kind of re-examine your, your perceptions and go, you know what, Lorenzo Cain, just through an example, is better than we thought and should be valued as such. George? Yeah, Mike made a lot of the points I was going to uh, bring up. It's, <laughs> you know, the, the biggest one obviously was Madison Baumgartner. Uh, the innings were a big concern. I think there were some legitimate questions about whether or not that was going to impact at least the early part of his uh, 2015 season. And he still finished as a top five pitcher in the National League this year. So that's a, a great example. And I think we talked a little bit about it towards the end of the year, but. Um, as far as some veteran guys, maybe who uh, sort of slow down as the season goes on, um, you know, a good example right now. If you're looking at the current World Series, uh, Ben Zobrist is a guy where, if you look since 2010, he's had nearly 4,000 plate appearances with a 780 OPS uh, in the postseason, which is about 116 plate appearances since 2010. He has an 829 OPS. So I think some guys tend to perform a little bit better, especially the veterans in the postseason. And at times you see them put up numbers that they don't typically uh, produce during the regular season. So I think that's a good example from this year where we're going to start to wonder, well, maybe is Zobris going to be better next year? And and I don't really see that. So it's something you can't put too much stock into the postseason performance. Obviously, we're, you know, looking a little bit at recency bias here because we did see a lot of Royals come out and have really big years after that huge postseason run a year ago. Now thinking of guys like Lorenzo Cain, Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakis, but that's more the exception than it is, you know, the general rule when it comes to postseason performance. So um, I wouldn't change on a specific player too much uh, going forward based on one postseason series. I wouldn't really do that. Yeah, I'm 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 on the I'm on the same boat as as you guys. The only um you know, the the things that I generally think about and you know, I think the the Bumgarner thing was a little bit overblown coming into the coming into the season. The um you know, I I think I think part of the stuff with the Royals were was was underperformance during the season which I think was more important than their elevated performance in the playoffs. I think, uh, I think that talent level was, was, was there, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't quite, quite showing. I mean, we saw that with, with, with the guys that you mentioned before, um, when it comes to postseason performance, the guys that get, that get, that get me nervous are the, the relievers that throw a lot of innings. Um, I'm pretty sure I mentioned this last year as well. And, um, you look at the um, you look at the two closers from last year uh, from the two teams that made it to the World Series. You don't really gain any new information. Um, and Santiago Casillo was uh, was the closer for the Giants, and I think he threw an inning in the World Series. I th- I, I'm now I'm gonna, now I'm going to look it up. Uh, I had it open. He threw. Uh, he faced two batters in the World Series. Well, um, how about a guy like Yasmero Petit? I mean, he 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 was worked. He was worked pretty heavily. Right. He, he kind of paid the price a little bit. And the other, the guy on the other side is Greg Holland. And Greg Holland's a weird scenario anyway because Holland, you know, threw a good amount in the in the postseason. But we've since discovered that he was pitching with a torn UCL in the playoffs and down the stretch in 2014. So uh, you're you're unlikely to see that out of out of too many uh, out of too many relievers, but. Uh, it, it does, um, 
it does make me slightly nervous about uh, guys with really heavy usage patterns. And as uh, you know, as much as I as much as I do love Yuris Familia, and he has a little bit of an advantage here because he was a starting pitcher up until somewhat recently. But um, there's been a lot of a lot of mileage on his arm this postseason. I wonder whether whether in a uh, sort of a tiebreaker with uh, some of the other you know elite level closers, I, I wonder whether I'll take him down a slot or two just for that reason. Well, just to he's certainly getting a lot more hype. I mean, I wrote about him this week for Baseball Prospectus. I know a lot of other outlets uh, across the industry have written about him. Uh, so you're not only getting more exposure and, and a little more light cast on him for maybe just casual owners who aren't paying that much attention during the season. But, you know, another thing that maybe we're not factoring into from a, like a real baseball standpoint uh, is there's more tape on these guys, I think, when you have that additional 15 or 20 innings that they're throwing in the postseason. That's just more film for opposing teams to, to sort of break down and get a little more information about them to, you know, go up against them in the future. So that's you know, like- part of it too, maybe. A good example of, of somebody, you know, who, you know, talking about this phenomenon is, is Daniel Murphy. And, you know, we, we know and people have kind of joked about this in real life. Daniel Murphy is probably going to, you know, as much as we say teams, major league teams don't make contract decisions based on the postseason, he's probably going to get a little more money. And I'm not talking about like, you know, millions of dollars per year. I'm talking about maybe five or ten million more of the life of a contract from a major league team and probably not the Mets because of what he's doing. But, but the interesting question, and, and they talked about this a little bit, you know, tonight during game two on the broadcast, you know, is, is his approach does look a little bit different. Now we know Daniel Murphy is not going to go out and hit 30 home runs, but if Daniel Murphy's a guy who can hit, you know, 15 home runs at a middle infield position as a po- or 17 over the course of a season, you know, as opposed to say six or eight or, or 10 or whatever, I know he didn't do that this year, but that's what he's done in the past. That is something that we want to know, and it is something that's indicative of his future value. And, you know, the other interesting thing about Murphy is, you know, he, he didn't run this year. Uh, you know, he had some injuries in the preseason that you know precluded him from running not only then but all year. You know, if he has those steals back, you know, he, he's somebody who could have a little bit more sneaky fantasy value. Those are the kind of things that I'm kind of looking at. You know, I'm not looking at. Murphy's postseason going, oh, my God, he's going to hit 35 home runs. He's going to be a monster. But as somebody who I'd like to sneak a little bit more value out of, but paradoxically, if you're in a weaker, softer league, he's going to go a few rounds or or a couple rounds above where he should, and I just won't own him. Yeah, Murphy is going to be the exact guy where in uh, and that's that's a great point where in um, in in softer leagues, he's going to go higher. And I think in leagues with uh, with with sharper owners, he's going to go later. (laughs) I think discount. That's right. Yeah, I think there's going to be some overcompensation where people are going to be a little too attentive to the uh, to to not paying extra for the postseason that they might miss out on what his actual value is which is which is going to be a pretty fascinating thing to uh, to watch as we get into february and march yeah what's really funny is that the points they were making about his pro tonight and his swing and and kind of this happened with lucas duda too you know they you know i think you know saris of fangrass points out duda's motion in the box was kind of calmed down and they're they making those points tonight about murphy how his motion in the box is, is kind of calmed down and it's helped with his follow-through you know, I think all that some people, you know, even some of the sharks are going to look at is they're going to say, oh, he's a fluke. He's not going to do this, that, and the other. 
he's at that point where I think some of this improvement is going to be real. And and he was hurt, you know, at the beginning of the year, which kind of you know tamped him down a little bit. You know, look, I'm I'm not saying you know that Daniel Murphy's going to go through his late career renaissance, but you're absolutely right, Brett. I, I think some people are going to look at this and go, ah, you know, he's going to be overvalued, so I want to overcompensate or I want to compensate the other way and, and lop a couple rounds off of him. So. It is kind of that weird thing, you know, a simple 12-team mixed home league, you know, which isn't really our audience. He's going to get drafted too high. A league like Towers, there might be a little bit of a discount, you know, unless Todd Zola wants him, in which case <laughs> we'll have him. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's any, uh, any other... Uh... Any other thoughts on that uh, topic before we uh, before we move on? I don't really think there's a whole lot more to uh, to say about that. But do you guys remember when Marco Scudero got paid for that World Series? Yep, <laughs> that was a good time. Yeah, that's all I got. Sounds good. Um, so I'm going to kick it to uh, to Mike then, who is going to give us the. Uh, a little bit of primer on the uh, on the valuations that he's uh, working on that you can expect to see at Baseball Prospectus in November. Yeah, I'm not going to go into a, a long thing because, as Brett alluded to, and as we talked about uh, before the show, I was talking with George. We'll be talking plenty about this in the off season, particularly before January and before the gear up for 2016. So, what I have and what we'll be talking about is it's kind of the preliminary valuations. Uh, it's all the only league stuff. I'm, I'm still working on the mixed league stuff. So so this is kind of the deep dive in, into what players earn in a mono format. Uh, you know, George, we, we were kind of talking about how we might talk about the process, about how I come up with them. But I think we'll save that for another show and make this a little less wonky and, and a little lighter. Uh, you can look forward to these coming out starting the week after the World Series. So I think that it'll be like November 11th, November 12th, somewhere in there. I may have the dates wrong, but it'll be that week. Uh, and you know, once those come out, it's a series of six articles. There, there's two for the American League, one for hitters, one for pitchers. Same thing with the National League, and then same thing with Mixed League, where we gear toward 15-team Mixed League. Uh, just because leagues that are shallower than that tend to go draft instead of auction, and it's not really a dollar valuation per se. Uh, I honestly, it's probably some of the strongest writing I do all year. Which you know, if you play fantasy football and you don't read us, you might miss out. But if you're listening to this podcast, I assume you're going to be interested. As you should be. It's some of my favorite stuff to read that we uh, that we do all year, and we're uh, we're going to have some some fun content that goes alongside of it. So yeah. uh, this is this is going to be a nice uh, sneak peek. Yeah, we're we're hoping to to get some other writers on the staff and involved as well. And there's a couple people that are interested in you know really diving into this and and really looking at this from more than just a, a mono league or, or standard mixed league perspective. So. I'm looking forward to seeing what our, our very talented staff could do with this as well. Yeah. Um, so I don't know whether you wanted to uh, break it down anymore, or should uh, should we get into uh, should we get into the questions? Why don't we just unless George you know had some follow up for me? Why don't we just dive right into the questions? No, let's do it. Um, I figured you know the World Series is on. We could have just a little bit of fun tonight, and instead of talking about just a few specific players try to sort of cover as many guys as possible just kind of get your guys general take 
uh, on a bunch of names. Uh, nobody really too deep, just it's sort of the big names. Um, and I'll start with you, Brett. Who would you draft first in an NL-only league next season? Max Scherzer or Jake Arrieta? I, I really... I. I really liked this question when I when I opened up the file, um, and I, I think my my answer might might surprise you guys. I'm going to take Scherzer, um, and I it's it's very it's very close, but you know I would rather you know I I am a huge Jake Arrieta believer, but Scherzer is still uh, one of the likely top three fantasy starters in baseball and even though Arietta's top five I just don't I don't I don't think I could take him over Scherzer yeah for what it's worth Scherzer earned 35 dollars and Arietta 44 is the top pitcher in the National League this year uh Mike I want to go over to the top earner in the American League Dallas Keuchel 35 dollars where does he sort of stack up against the rest of the elite starters in the game from a fantasy perspective guys like zach granke clayton kershaw arietta scherzer where do you value keichel next season because i feel like we sort of just witnessed the best possible version of dallas keichel i don't think it gets any better than what we just saw yeah i i I would say that although what i would say about keichel well to answer your question i mean he's below those nationally guys just because they they get to face the pitcher once or twice a game so there's more strikeouts um, you know the the wins are kind of tough to predict on a repeat. You know if he wins twenty again, you know God bless. But you know we, we kind of know we saw the Clayton Kershaw wins are, are not you know something you want to bet on. I, I I would expect Keuchel's ERA to go up a little bit next year. But the thing about Keuchel is a lot of what he did is sustainable. If you if you watch the wild card game in particular, he just pounds the bottom of that zone. His delivery is so consistent. His mechanics are so consistent. He's just a hard guy to get elevation on. You know, you'd think, and I would have thought before I looked at him that he was a, a Babbitt monster, where it's like, you know, he was, he was lucky and maybe had a Babbitt in the low twos. But his Babbitt was 269. And, and given, you know, what he does with that ground ball rate, I think it was the third or fourth highest in, in the majors, you know, of anyone over like 120, 130 innings. You've got like Brett Anderson, you know, Jaime Garcia, and I think there was somebody else in there. A lot of what Keuchel does is sustainable. I, I think he's going to slip a little bit, but I, I would look at him as a top five at worst ale only guy and probably a top 10, top 12 guy overall. Yeah, here's where valuations get fun, Brett. Uh, Mike Trout and Lorenzo Cain both earned $35 uh, <laughs> this year, which I don't think anyone would have predicted coming into the year, but we kind of touched on Cain a little bit earlier. Uh, but where do you stand on him going forward? Because he stayed relatively healthy and was really fantastic. Hit over 300, uh, 16 homers, 28 steals. Do you think we see this type of season again from Kane, or is this you know, not going to happen again? I'm I'm a little skeptical that the power will hold this much. I think uh, I think everything else is is absolutely fair game, though. I think he's. Uh, I think he's bankable for a 300 average and 25 steals. I think I I think I would look for him to be in the 10 to 10 to 12 home run range rather than rather than the 16 he got this year, which um, which probably puts a little bit of a ding on his RBI numbers as well. But he's he's been hitting third in that lineup, and we know how Ned Yost is. I mean, he's going to be hitting third until he can't walk anymore as long as he's still on the team. Uh, but 
you know, I I think Kane right now is is a uh, is a fringe top twenty outfielder for me. Um, I don't think he's done enough this year to uh, to push into into outfield one status going into two thousand sixteen. Who would you rather have? I know his his team might change, but who would you rather have, Kane or Justin Upton? Uh, that is <laughs> that is close. I'm going to I'm going to hedge, and I'm going to say if Justin Upton goes to an American League team and one that's not in a a really advantageous ballpark, I will take uh, I will take Kane. If not, then I will take Upton. That's fair. Uh, Mike, I always look at these valuations, and by the way, you do a fantastic job with these. I don't know if I said that all right, but I always look for the guys who are kind of the outliers in terms of the names that surprised me, and the two guys in the National League that uh, kind of stood out to me in terms of just how good a season they had compared to the expectations, Joey Votto and Ryan Braun, guys with huge health concerns, but uh, they both managed to get 500 at-bats this year. So which guy was more surprising to you from a valuation standpoint that they earned as much as they did? Because they were both over $30 in the National League. And, and just to give our, our listeners some context, since these aren't published yet, Votto earned 32 and NL only, and Braun earned 31. I, I you know, even though you know, Votto's average expert league salary was 26 and, and Braun's average salary is 29, and I bought Braun in one of these expert leagues. I, I was more surprised by Braun. You know, this is at the end of the year. At the beginning of the year, I would have been more surprised by Votto. But Votto's injury, the nature of his injuries, is after a month when you saw him hit and you, and you saw that he was healthy and was fine, it shouldn't have been a surprise what he did. We know that when Joey Votto is healthy, he's going to rake. Ryan Braun is just a guy all year who seemed to be going through issues with the thumb. He had some other maladies. I'm not a big believer that PEDs impacted his performance too much, but it's still an unknown of the impact. And, and quite honestly, the biggest surprise of Braun is I'm, I'm really surprised he stole 24 bases. I, I wasn't sold that that was going to come back. I thought he might steal 10, 12, you know, somewhere in that range. So I'm more surprised by Braun and what he did. I, I If you had told me that Ryan Braun was going to hit 25 home runs and hit 285, I would have thought, well, yeah, it's a nice year, but he's not going to earn 31. I, I'm amazed he got there, and, and a large part of that was the steals. You know, Votto's a guy I kind of look at, and I'm like, yeah, you know, a healthy Joey Votto hitting 29, you know, home runs, driving in 80, you know, scoring almost 100, hitting 314. It's a surprise that he did it if you're looking at it from the perspective of March. But once you saw him hit after a while and you figured out he was healthy, it wasn't that surprising. Mike, you mentioned the speed there for Braun. Uh, for everybody listening at home, there was a really good piece uh, Ben Carsley and Craig Goldstein wrote for Baseball Prospectus where they looked at uh, the decline in speed across the game and how that's impacting fantasy. So those stolen bases are becoming even more valuable. And I think you see that throughout these valuations, and that's something that uh, everybody should go probably check out. Um, surprise in the American League, Brett, uh, who... Who do you think was a bigger surprise, Nelson Cruz or J.D. Martinez? Um, I I have to say Martinez, even though I think we were all pretty uh, we were all pretty high on Martinez coming into the year. Um, I think we 
you know, we talk, Mike, we talked about Cruz before the season, right? And we talked about we talked about the 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 Safeco overreaction. Right? Yep. We we had this conversation right around the same time we talked about the Petco overreaction, well, and then we ended up drafting all Padres on our list. Yeah, we team. did. I mean, we we almost Nelson Cruz and I talked about this in the labor recap. You know, he he was someone. You know, and I think we were good that we did what we did because we need the steals. But Charlie Blackman and, and Nelson Cruz are both right up there on our list when when the wheel came around to us. Like I I, I looked at Cruz like, yeah, he's going to drop. But you know, if you think he's gonna hit twenty home runs because of Safeco, that that's just insane. He's still gonna be a low thirties guy. Yeah, yeah. I I was pretty confident that JD Martinez was gonna be able to repeat as a twenty five home run hitter, and with the you know not with his batting average, but with, I think I think I pegged him at sort of two seventy and and twenty five uh, coming into the year. Uh, so given what I given what I thought, he's he's definitely the. He's definitely the bigger the bigger surprise. Um, I mean, he out he he finished with a higher batting average than I than I thought he would, but uh, I did not think he would get to 38 home runs and 102 RBIs. Uh, that is uh, that is is quite good. Uh, but you know, I am you know if I if I wasn't 100 percent sold on on Martinez before, I'm I'm certainly I certainly am now. So. Yep, both of them are thirty dollars hitters in the American League. Um, Mike, has your opinion on D. Gordon changed at all? He finished tied with Paul Goldschmidt as the top National League hitter this year at forty one dollars. Um, is the approach sustainable? A lot of it's built on contact and speed. I mean, it seems like a profile that's going to work at least in the short term. Have you kind of changed your mind on him, or uh, have you? always been in on D Gordon. I don't I've never heard your take on him. I can't remember. I've I've always been higher on him than Brett has, but I have never been this high on him and I did think there was going to be some regression. The the thing about steel guys and, and this is one of these things about valuation, it's not just our valuation. They if you listen to you know ESPN's fantasy focus and, and you you know look at their fantasy valuations, they have the same problem. Steals tend to get overvalued in a valuation system. And one of the reasons that they do is even in this steel starved context, a, a one trick pony like Gordon, it, at some point there's an excess in the category, unless he's the only you know guy on your team stealing bases at all, which is almost never the case. Some of those steals just kind of go to waste. And I, I think, that, you know, his approach is certainly sustainable and I could certainly see him earning in the low to mid thirties, you know, you don't want to predict 41, but I could see him earning the low to mid thirties for the next couple of years. The, the problem is, is you don't want to necessarily draft him or purchase him for 41, you know, like in town next year, my stopping point is probably going to be in the low thirties. His average salary this year in NL only was 26. I think that should go up. And that's, you know, to your question, George, that speaks to the sustainability and my belief in him. I just want our listeners to be really careful. Like in an auction, I don't want to pay forty, and in a draft, I, I still don't want to take him in the first or early second round. I, you just kind of want to be careful with guys like this, where you know if there's a leg injury, if there's time on the DL, yeah. if there's some slight Babbitt fluctuation the other way. You know, unlike someone else, you know, like Paul, like Goldschmidt, who you mentioned, who has value across the board. Gordon's the kind of guy if he loses a little, he loses a lot. So I, I think it's sustainable, but. You do want to be a little bit careful when when you're buying or drafting him. Paul Goldschmidt stole 21 bases this year, which is pretty awesome. Um, Brett, I wouldn't call Mookie Betts a fantasy superstar, 
But when you look at these valuations, uh, when they come out on Baseball Prospectus, uh, bets earned, th- uh, I think it was $31 in the American League this year. Let me make sure I have that right. Bets. That sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, only six hitters earned more in the American League this year. Uh, what are we looking at for sort of a fantasy ceiling from a valuation standpoint? Because it feels like this year was sort of only the tip of the iceberg. He hit 18 home runs, stole 21 bases, and hit 291. It feels like he's only going to get better from this point forward, right? I don't, I don't agree with that. Um, and I don't think he needs to get better. Um, I think even with no improvement, I think I think Betts is uh, easily a top 20 outfielder, possibly a top 15 outfielder for next year. Um, but I just don't I don't I don't see more ceiling coming. I mean, there's a he he certain with the contact rate he has, there certainly might be a year where he you know hits 330. Uh, but I don't think that's I don't think that's going to be anyone's expectation. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a twenty-five to thirty home run hitter. Um, I don't think he's going to steal forty bases. Uh, so I think this is exactly what we should expect: just really, really good all-around five-category production. And you know, it's it, it, it's going to make him a a worthy you know uh, you know second third round pick depending on on league size um maybe even probably second i even on even a shallower league he's probably not going to drop into the into the third round um but you know expecting him to be a a top five top 10 overall player i think is, is a little little rich for for my taste yeah i think maybe my question was a little misguided it was sort of you know he's already this good and this is the type of player he's going to be so he's kind of more just getting started than anything but um, yeah i think yeah. The, the the one of the one of the traps we fall into is uh seeing a guy who's really young and really good and saying okay he's you know 23 years old oh think about how good he's going to be when he's 25 i i like to call this freddie freeman disease um just because a player is just because a player is really good at a young age doesn't mean he's going to get better as he approaches what we typically consider to be a, a person's prime uh sometimes sometimes these guys are just that good when they uh when they when they arrive and they don't get better and there's nothing wrong with that and uh we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't put unnecessary uh unnecessary stress on them to uh to be better for us that's a really great point uh Mike, I'm going to go right to a guy who maybe will get better, uh, Xander Bogarts. Should we expect him to potentially hit for more power? I think he only had seven home runs this year, uh, but he still finished as a, a $28 earner in the American League at shortstop. I think he was a top fantasy shortstop, actually, in the American League. So is he still going to be the number one guy going forward or... What does sort of a peak value season look like for him? Probably low 30s. You know, the, the tough thing with Bogarts, there, there's two things kind of colliding here. One is that in the short term, if, if his you know, batted ball approach stays the same, his ground ball fly ball ratio was, was a bit over two. He was a severe, maybe not severe, but he was close to a severe ground ball hitter last year. 
And you know, his BABIP, I mean, he's a hell of a contact hitter, but his BABIP was 372. There's some correction coming there. He's still a hell of a hitter. So, you know, you're looking at a guy who's going to hit like 290 or, or 300. But, you know, you're, you're not looking at someone to me who's necessarily going to repeat all that. But on the other hand, you, you do have the, the talent question and, and you do have the idea that I do expect him to to improve and, and put up some better numbers. So I, I don't look at the I don't look at a Carlos Correa peak. And I'm and I'm sorry if I'm stealing one of your future questions here, <laughs> of a guy who could be like an elite or top top. And I'm talking about like a Trout Harper earner. But I could see Bogarts earning like 33 to 35, you know, if if everything comes together for him. You know, some of this is just to get to that $40 threshold is tough. Like in AL only, for example, the the best hitter, you know, Jose Altuve, he earned 39. You know, that's with 15 home runs, 38 steals, and a 313 batting average. It's, you know, with 86 runs, it's really hard to, to get to that threshold unless you're putting everything together statistically. So, you know, unless Bogarts goes out and hits 20 home runs and steals, you know, more bases and manages to keep that average up, you know, despite the high Babbitt, you know, he could get to 40. It's just not something I want to bet on. I think 33 to 35 is a safe estimate of his ceiling. Yeah, the the overall takeaway from Xander Bogarts is that he's really good. He's still really young. And if this is... You know, a baseline season, he's going to be one of the top three shortstops in the American League. So uh, you're going to want to own him. Uh, Noah Syndergaard, Brett, <laughs> feels like he's the guy who's going to get the most hype in the offseason based on what we saw in the playoffs. He's just been outstanding. Where do you think he ranks in terms of uh, overall starters right now? Do you think he's potentially a top 20 guy? And is he going to be so overvalued that you're not going to want to pay the price to draft him next year? Um, I will answer that in one second. I want to go back to Bogarts just for one quick second and just note that he did have a 53% ground ball rate this year, but in a full season in 2014, he had a 38% ground ball rate and actually a 41% fly ball rate. So I don't, you know, I really, really like Bogarts. I don't think it's set in stone that that's his bad ball profile that we can expect going forward. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, yeah I, I, I meant to bring that up. I mean, he's, he's just an enigmatic player to, to kind of analyze right now because, you know, his batted ball profile the last two years was so different. Yeah. If you, if you're betting on Bogarts in 2005, in 2016, you're still betting predominantly on, um, on prospect profile. And that's a little bit of a scary proposition, but you know he at least has a in in deeper and 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 mono leagues he at least has established that baseline of being a i think comfortably a, a twenty dollar player um yeah so i i think uh you know i I know you asked me about noah Syndergaard, and i will <laughs> I will answer that now but um as far as Syndergaard goes. I think he's going to get drafted in a similar spot this year that Garrett Cole got drafted in uh, this past year. Um, I think he's going to be sort of that, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth round starter once the safer guys come off the board. And uh, hell no, I am not avoiding him. He is he is exactly the kind of starter that I I like grabbing as a um, 
as a second or third starter in uh, in in a league like that. Uh, nope. So we're have him in labor next year. I we probably will have him in labor unless yeah. you know what Jake will probably draft him. In labor. Say, that's <laughs> easy for him, right? I just get worried about him getting the Carlos Carrasco treatment, and all of a sudden you're in the fifth round and someone's taking him, and that's just crazy. So um, yeah, that might happen. But I look, no joke, Cindergard has thrown enough innings this this year with the postseason that he should not have an innings limit at all next year. Uh, he could be a top five starting pitching start, starting pitcher. That's a fair he statement. just he could he's that his his talent is is that strong uh, I, I so yeah you want the guys that could be top five starting pitchers that that's what you want that's why people took took Garrett Cole this year that's why we took Cole that's why we took Arietta that's 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 the logic you want the guys who can blow up and he can blow up mark it down Noah Syndergaard nasty um, Mike Carlos Correa. In 387 at-bats this year, he earned $22. We talked about this in the past, um, that he was on pace for a $40 season if you project him out over the for a full season of at-bats. And he finished the year still on that pace. Do you think he's anywhere close to that next season? Or are we not being realistic with that? I, there's a chance. And, and with a talent like Korea, you, you don't want to undersell him. You know, I, I saw people make this mistake with, with Mike Trout, you know, in his sophomore season and going, he'll regress, he'll do this, he'll do that. And, and you know, you, you kind of, I don't want to get into a Korea Trout discussion, but you kind of want to say in general with special talent that, well, look, you know, it's predicting regression is sensible, but you don't want to go too far off the rails. And I think that being said, this goes back to the theme of this. It's really tough to get to 40 you know, nobody in the American League did last year. Uh, the only guys in the National League that did were, were Goldschmidt, Gordon, who we talked about, and A.J. Pollock. You know, Bryce Harper, you know, this is just kind of insane. You know, Brett and I talked about this off the show. You know, Bryce Harper, look at his line last year. 42 home runs, 118 runs, 99 runs batted in, six steals, 330, and he earned 39. He didn't even quite get there. So, I, you know, from a talent perspective, yeah, I, I think Korea could get there. I think it's probably more likely you're looking at a $35 to $37 season, and he falls just a little bit short. Yeah. Um, Brett, a guy who, another guy who you love. You sense a trend here. Um, Kyle Schwarber, where do you think the price tag ends up being next season? Uh, I think he earned $12 and just under 250 at-bats, which is crazy. Um, what? What would you actually be willing to pay? Let's let's fast forward. Okay, you're you're drafting in next year. How much are you willing to throw down uh, for Schwarber? In well, in a in a two catcher league, a lot. <laughs> um, I would. Look, I let's 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 take a step back. The Cubs are going to have Miguel Montero next year. He's going to be doing a bulk of the catching. We saw what. We saw how raw Kyle Schwarber is in in left field, but if you've if you've you know if you've read anything about uh, about Schwarber or or seen him go about his business, you you know damn well that he is going to work his ass off to be a, a as good of a court defensive corner outfielder as possible and he's never going to be a guy that you're you're gonna you know give a give a gold glove vote to but 
I think he can work his way into being a, a fringy corner outfielder defensively. And that's really all he needs to do to get that playing time. If he's, uh, it's never a guarantee with someone like that who, who just has too many, has a lot of defensive question marks uh, as to how many at bats they get. But if you told me that Kyle Schwarber was going to play in 140 games next year, um, in labor, I would take him in. I, I, w- I would take him in probably the fourth round. Yeah, um, power is just scarce when you look around baseball. There aren't a lot of guys who can hit thirty home runs, and if he gets the playing time, it's, it's possibility. And at catcher, that's crazy. <laughs> so yep, and that and that ticks even slightly higher in in on base leagues, just because he's you know he's a he's a guy with an approach, and he might be a little bit of a dragon in batting average but uh he'll be less of a dragon on base this crop of prospects we had come up this year is really really insanely good um they're, that's they're the fun. overall takeaway there um another you know couple rookies so to speak uh mike chris bryant 28 dollars in the national league miguel sano in a lot less playing time earned 13 dollars. who do you think is going to be the better value next season and who would you want to have of those two well, the better value will, will probably be Sano. Um, he'll get tamped down because in a lot of leagues he'll, he'll be DH eligible only. You know, I, I think people will you know look at the you know the fewer at bats, they won't necessarily like blow him up or project him out. You know, and, and Brian you know, is a darling. I, I think some people are, are going to he he's Brian's going to be a first rounder in in some leagues next year. You know, maybe in a 15-team league, but somebody's going to be taking Brian in the first round. I don't necessarily think that's incorrect. I, I just don't see the value there. I think you're, you're, that's a ceiling pick for me, not, not a pick for value. I think Sano could go in some drafts where he's a little bit undervalued. I, I don't necessarily see people reaching him, in part because of what you just mentioned. There's so many rookies that there was such a glut that I think in a, in a redraft in particular – He's somebody who won't sneak through, but he's somebody who won't necessarily be overvalued as opposed to years past. The guy I want is probably Brian. You know, I, I, I like the all-around package. You know, I, I like the kind of hitter he is. You know, this is nothing against Snow. You, you, you're kind of asking me, you know, which of these you know, beautiful things would I rather have? <laughs> you're like picking between your kids right now. Yeah, preference for Brian. They're, they're both, they're both going to be really good. You know, I, I think from a pure power standpoint, you know, based on what I saw last year, maybe I want to know. But in terms of the overall package, I, I think I want Brian. All right, we're going to try and pick up the pace a little bit to get through the rest of these because um, we're going <laughs> a little long here. <laughs> and there's a lot of guys to cover. So, um, Brett, quickly, who's more likely to return $30 next season like they did this season? Uh, Jacob DeGrom, Garrett Cole, or Madison Bumgarner? Give me DeGrom. All right, that's a good call. He's filthy. Uh, Mike, who's more likely to approach or repeat their $25 season in the American League? Kevin Pillar, who is, I don't know how that happened, Billy Burns or David Ortiz? Uh, it's going to be Burns, and this is just kind of what we talked about with Gordon from the pure earnings standpoint. All he has to do is steal those bases again, and he'll, he'll get there. What do you guys think of Ortiz, though, in general? Just real quick, because how much longer can this continue to happen, him hitting 30 home runs a year? Forever. My, <laughs> ans- my answer would have been Ortiz. I don't know what but to I th- hate. I hate Billy Burns. <laughs> That's... Well, 
Not, I, I don't like Burns as a player, but from from an earning standpoint, I, you know, he's he's the safest bet. <laughs> there was some fire there from Brett. I like it. Oh. Uh, we'll we'll keep it Brett, there with Brett. Brett hates, Brett hates speed guys. Like, <laughs> I I don't blame him. I mean, they're they're one dimensional. They're not like the greatest players. No, I, I hate speed guys that just can't. They. Uh, yeah, I just I I still don't believe that Billy Burns can hit. I just I don't. That's, just like part of me still doesn't believe that D Gordon can hit. I know I have to stop believing that, but I will still continue to believe that Billy Burns can it's, hit. It's definitely an unconventional approach when you look at the high ground ball rates and you know just trying to beat out infield singles a lot of the time. It's it it doesn't look very appealing. Um, I will give you that. It's um, the old uh, it's the old Brett Gardner uh, each thing. Brett Gardner slap the ball to third base, try to beat it out thing. Yeah, uh, that's fair. Um, Keeper of Dynasty League question, Brett, right in your wheelhouse. Uh, Dylan Batances earned twenty dollars with nine saves this year in the American League. If he starts closing, what does a full season of saves do for his value? Um, what does it look like? I mean, if he well, part of the problem is that if he's the closer, he doesn't throw as many innings and he doesn't get as many strikeouts. Um, but I mean, he if he was the if he's the closer, he's the number one closer in in fantasy. I mean, I, I don't think it's I don't think that is um, I don't think that's difficult to envision. Um, but uh, I I wouldn't I, I'm not I'm not trading for Batansis at this point just because I you know. I think pe- people might people might expect that, but Andrew Miller is really freaking good, and I, I don't see him giving that job up anytime soon. Yeah, Mike, who's the top closer in the National League next year? Uh, Chapman, Kimbrell, uh, Familia, or actually, we forgot to name the guy who actually was the top closer in the NL, Mark Melanson. I, I hate to go with the safe, boring guy here, but I'm just going to go with with Chapman. You know, just because the the freight of those strikeouts. You know, he doesn't pitch a, a ton of innings compared to some of those guys, but the, the freight of those strikeouts are just so valuable. And, and predicting saves or, or quantity of saves from a closer is is really hard to do. You know, and but predicting Mark Melanson is going to save that many games again next year, I, I just it's a hard thing to predict. I just think it's interesting because you look at how much Chapman and Kimbrell went for compared to the guys who actually led the league in saves. What they well, cost? That's the, that, that, that was our labor podcast, and it is the <laughs> don't pay for saves lesson. You know, it's if you pay for saves really early, you can just find those saves later. Yeah, uh, Brett Dynasty League: Adam Jones or George Springer in the American League? Uh, that is. <laughs> that is a really, really hard question. Um, in a dynasty league, I, I think I'd take George Springer. All right, Mike, who's the better value among Indian starters next season? Carlos Carrasco, who earned twenty three dollars this year, or Danny Salazar, who finished at twenty one dollars? That's going to be close, and they might they might actually both be overvalued. But I think it's going to be Salazar, just because I think some people are going to keep looking at him as, as a wild pitcher and, and looking at his past without considering his future. Carrasco's already a little, I won't say overhyped because a good year, but he's somebody people keep looking at as, oh, my God, he could be a, a first-round talent or, or a top-five AL guy. And, and I just see his, his value or perceived value jumping up next year. Salazar won't be a discount, but I, I think he's somebody who isn't necessarily going to get popped up because he's going to kind of get that whip penalty, but, which if you look at his whip, I don't know if he really deserves that penalty as much as he used to. 
if you go back and look at Carlos Carrasco's year, it was a really weird year. Yeah, just overall, like everything that happened was extremely weird. So um, I, I like him going forward. Uh, Brett, I'm going to give you a, a smorgasbord of pitchers in the National League. Who do you think has the best shot at earning $20 next year? Tyson Ross, James Shields, Jaime Garcia, or Kyle Hendricks, the sleeper? <laughs> it's it's James Shields. Uh, I, I think he, Shields has done this before. He's, you know, had the had the really good season and then the crap season and then come back and had the really good season again. I think he's, uh, I, I think he's the guy who I would be way more comfortable, uh, predicting that type of value for of, of this group. Um, honestly, it's not even all that close. I Hendricks, I think is interesting. Garcia. I love, but counting <laughs> on him to stay healthy enough to earn $20 is the definition of insanity. Um, <laughs> And Tyson Ross, I just I don't I I like Ross, but I don't think his I don't think his ceiling is is as a twenty dollar pitcher. Mike, which was weirder in the American League this year? Eric Hosmer earning more than Jose Abreu or Kendry's Morales earning the same as Miguel Cabrera at twenty four dollars? Oh it, it definitely Morales and Cabrera. And I, I don't think it's really close. It's just as you know, Hosmer is kind of up and down, and, and if he steals any bases at all, he, he's shown he can provide that, that deeper league value. You know, we, we kind of looked at Abreu and thought, well, he'll slip a little bit. He could earn mid to high 20s. So while I wouldn't have predicted that, I'm not shocked by it. You know, even with the injury, looking at Cabrera earning 24 and looking at Morales, who a lot of people completely wrote off doing the same, that was shocking. I, I can't believe Morales had the year he had. I, definitely that one. Brett did. Morales make the top 500 over at TDG coming into the year? I feel like he did. I don't, I, I don't remember. Yeah. I think I think he did. <laughs> we, the fact that we have to think about it says a lot, though. Yeah. 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 Um, the emotion that you would use to describe your feelings towards Jose Fernandez right now, Brett? Um, <laughs> right now or in, in, in March? At this moment and then maybe in March. Right now, excited. Uh, in March, uninterested. That's probably true. Mike, Steven Strasburg, is there any chance he's a top 15 starter next year? Yeah, I, I think so. It might be at the bottom of that range, but you know the injuries he had this year weren't necessarily arm-related. He came on strong in the second half. Uh, the talent's there. The stuff is there. If he's consistent, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he cracked the top 15. All right, we're flying through these. Brett, Francisco Lindor, $21 in the American League this year, which is crazy good in like half a year. Uh, what's more likely to occur next year, which he did this season, uh, double-digit home runs, steals, or both of those things happening again? The steals. I, the home runs is is I'm I'm still reserving judgment on the home runs. I still I still think he was over his head in the power department this year. Um, but uh, I, I think both is both is within reason. But I would if I had to bet on one of those three things being most likely, I would say the steals. Mike, which performance was more unlikely this year? Chris Young earning fifteen dollars with the Royals. Or Masahiro Tanaka finishing at $20 in the American League when we didn't know if he was going to make it through his first appearance in spring training? Uh, Chris Young for me, just because, you know, Tanaka, even, 
you know, we, my my outcome for Tanaka if he stayed on the field and, and didn't get hurt and didn't have to go back under the knife was like a fifteen dollars season or so. So for him to earn twenty, I'm I'm surprised by it, but I'm not shocked. You know, on, on the other hand, I, I look at Chris Young and what he did. He's just one of those pitchers. You just watch his stuff and you watch the way he pitches. You're like, how is he even doing this? And, and he just did it again. He had another year that that was just amazing. You know, particularly in deeper league. So, you know, 29th best pitcher in AL only leagues. That to me, from Chris Young, is is shocking. Brett Christian Yelich had a really strange season. Had some injuries. He still returned twenty dollars in the NL. Uh, who would you rather have next year, Yelich or David Peralta? Yelich, and it's not it's not particularly close for me either. Mike Brett Phillips, uh, Brandon Phillips, excuse me. I'm thinking of Brett Phillips, the former <laughs> Astro, now Brewers prospect. Uh, Brandon Phillips, twenty six dollars in the NL. Is that a typo? What am I seeing on my screen here? Well, I mean, he he kind of start he started running again. I, you know, he, he put up some you know good numbers across the board. It's not a typo, you know. It's it's just not going to happen again. But you know, you're talking about somebody who contributed, you know, in home runs at least, but he contributed in all five categories. And when you do that in, in deep league formats, you're going to earn. And you know, a lot of that is what it comes down to. The guy right, below, you know, Jason Hayward also earned 26, and their numbers are eerily similar. So I think some of it's a name. Like if if, if I said to you. You know, Jason Hayward earned 26. George, would you be shocked, or would you kind of be like, "Yeah, you know, that that seems about right. Maybe it's a dollar or two over." I feel like I is feel that like it? it? Yeah, right. So, you know, some is just a perception of the player. You know, we we didn't expect Phillips to bounce back at all. I think a lot of people, including me, didn't think he was finished, but just thought you'd never see the Phillips of old, and that's a lot of what we saw last year. So, I, you know, it, it obviously was a surprise, but in terms of how the valuations play out, it it makes sense. Uh, Brett, Rich Hill earned $7 in, what, four starts? Um, are you at all interested in him next year? What do you think is going to happen with his value? As a, as an end-of-draft flyer? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that he's exactly the kind of guy you want to take at the end of drafts. He's, he's probably going to be available in, you know, 14 to 16 team leagues in the in sort of the final stages i would assume uh if he's going before then i'm not i'm not interested but uh as the kind of guy who you throw on uh throw on as your as your last starter and see if he can stick on your roster absolutely yeah i want to see what a full season looks like for him because we have never seen one really in a decade so that'll be fun uh mike bounce back hitter in the national league who would you take uh, between Corey Dickerson, Jorge Soler, Yasiel Puig, or Marcelo Zuna? I, I, I'll take Dickerson just because a lot of his problems this year were health-related. I, I don't necessarily think that those problems are going to carry over next year. He's got the Coors factor going for him. He's really talented. You know, I, I, I bet on and won you know, on Cargo this year in Coors, and, and Dickerson's younger and doesn't have the negative health pro- profile that Cargo does. So, you know, if Dickerson stays in Colorado and there isn't a trade, he's the guy I want out of that group. Like, give me all the shares of Dickerson. His September was crazy good when he got yeah, healthy. It went under the radar, too. Just not yeah. a lot of people talked about that. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Brett, 2016, gut call. Who's worth more next year? Marcus Stroman or Yodano Ventura? Stroman. What, what, he, what he did in coming back from his ACL tear. To, the, to be as good as he was, even though he was not peak Stroman, 
uh, in September and October is just unbelievable. And I think he's going to be quite good in 2016. He's clearly their ace going forward. It's not even close. So mm-hmm. that's that's going to be fun to watch. Uh, Mike, a sleeper NL only sophomore pitcher. Uh, Steven Matz, maybe he's the guy. Joe Ross, Aaron Nola, or is there someone else you like more? Matz is the guy with the ceiling. And, and if you're going to go for, for the player, I, I think who could have the best year, it's him. I wouldn't be surprised though if, if Joe Ross is the steadier performer who has who actually puts up the better season. R- Ross is kind of underrated. He's just one of those pitchers that you watch and, and you think, well, he's good, but but he's not spectacular. And don't get me wrong, he's never going to be an elite top shelf ace. But just in terms long term, I want Matts in 2016 in terms of what i think the two guys will earn it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if ross is the guy who who beats him and, and i like nola but i, I still see nolan I, I got to watch a lot of him down here in philadelphia i still see nola as more of, of kind of a mid-tier guy despite some of the hype that that came out of philadelphia about him yeah joe ross is going to be the cheapest of that group and i i think i like him well, if he's the cheapest you, you definitely want to kind of get on that value yeah brett 2016 over in the American League similar question uh Luis Severino or Eduardo Rodriguez I want Eduardo Rodriguez all right that's I think he's I think he's a little bit safer I I'm... think uh and he I don't think the upside is very much different I'm concerned about the slider with Rodriguez I don't know if it's it gonna be elite ever I, you know I I would this isn't my question but I want Rodriguez too and I I don't think it's that close I I really Okay. Rodriguez out of those two. I, I've watched every Eduardo start, so <laughs> he has times where he looks incredible, and then other times it's just a mess, and I don't know. Um, Mike, Greg Bird, I, have we ever talked about him? I don't know. What are your thoughts on him? Not really. You know, I, I wrote a, you know, when, when he was called up, I did the write-up, and, and I probably undersold him. Honestly, I didn't expect the power. You know, I, I did mention Yankee Stadium and how that would help him, but I didn't expect the power to be as good as it was. I did expect the average to be better. I think his approach in the minors, particularly at Trenton, where you know, I saw him, was was a little bit different. I think he's perfectly fine, and he'll fit into that lineup. You know, there, there's that question of where he'll play. You know, if Mark Desher is healthy, but I think with that older team, the talent will find a way. You just do want to, you know, if, if the approach continues into 2016, you do want to watch the average. It could drag on his value a little bit. I don't see him as necessarily an elite fantasy commodity, particularly at first base, but I think he plays. You know, I think he plays in just about every format except if he's, you know, on the field. He plays just about every format except the shallowest of mixed leagues. Yeah, I feel like in a league with a bunch of sharps, he's going to be a, a sort of hot end game target for people. Yeah, he, he seems like that kind of guy. Um, Brett. At what point, if you're in maybe a startup keeper or dynasty, do you throw a dart at Jerickson Profar, who's hitting in the Arizona Fall League right now? It's it's not a dart. I want Profar. Um, no, he looks I, healthy. <laughs> I'm look. I am I am going down with that ship. Uh, <laughs> Profar is talented as fuck, and he is. I honestly, if I'm if I'm valuing him, I'm valuing him as a prospect right now just because it's been a while and he's going to probably start the year in the minors. But um, he's still 
Uh, he's still younger than uh, some of the other players that will be ranked in the top 10 among fantasy prospects this this offseason. And I'd have him in the top. I'd have him squarely in the top 10 if you're just looking at prospects. So um, I'd say roughly in the 125 to 150 range. Yeah, I think people are going to let him have you let you have him there too i'll take him all day long no one's gonna yeah exactly it's uh that's a name to go get um mike closing it out here final question for you um i got asked about this guy on twitter uh aaron alther i hope i'm saying that right um is he relevant in the national league i know the player don't know how to say the name yeah well then only he's certainly relevant you know he's not he's one of those players who He's not ever going to be a great player or a great fantasy player, but he does enough across the board that he'll play an NL only. I, I think he could even play if he gets the, the plate appearances in a deeper mix, and I'm talking about a really deeper mix. He, he's not somebody you necessarily want to rely on or be the cornerstone of your team, but but I could easily see him, you know, approaching like ten home runs, you know, stealing ten to twelve bases, and, and just kind of providing that that sneaky decent value across the board that you want to get from an outfielder in a deeper league. So yeah, he he, he should play, you know, and, and from what some of the Phillies watchers tell me about him, you know, defensively he should play as well. So he's not going to be somebody you have to just kind of you know hide in a corner and, and just hope for the best so you know and on that team next year they're, they're still in a rebuild mode you know they brought in the, the new gm but they're still in a position where they're they're rebuilding one of the most you know from a fantasy perspective there was some speculation here they might try to do what the nationals did at the beginning of their rebuild and bring in some big free agents uh but you know, he, he pretty much said that they're not going to do that. So if you're in Philly and you were hoping that Jason Hayward, who we mentioned before, was going to get, you know, a big backloaded deal, you know, with a really high annual average value and the Philly is going to like outbid everybody, that that's not going to happen. So, you know, guys like Alfred are going to play here. So, yeah, he should have some value. Hey, Mike, good news. We're going to take good care of Ruben Amaro up here in Boston. Yeah, here's going to be your first base coach. Yeah, he's going to do a good job. Well, I, I feel good like. Luck. Good luck. With what that. could go wrong? Brett, I thought this was going to be the fun question, but I should have saved the profile one, I guess. Um, Jim Benedict, <laughs> he left Pittsburgh. He's in Miami right now. How excited are you to see what he does with Carter Caps if he can get 60 innings out of him, find a way to keep him healthy, uh, and Kyle Bearclaw as well? How excited should we be? Not particularly excited. But oh. not for not for not for that reason. I I like Caps and I I like Bearclaw. But but let's let's not forget that AJ Ramos is is really quite good. And they're unless they're looking to trade him, which uh, w- wouldn't really shock me. But um, you know, I don't see either of those guys doing much of anything in the in the closer role. I think Ramos is I think Ramos is going to stick for a little while. I will be forever a Carter Caps uh, enthusiast. So, anyway, that's all I got. You guys did really fantastic. So uh, I'm going to throw the keys back over to Brett. Yeah. Well, thank you, George, for uh, coming up with all those questions. That was uh, that was fun. I like that. It was good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, with that, we are going to take a quick break. And uh, I'm pretty proud of myself for not giving anything further away that happened in this game. Yeah, you kept a level head. Yep. Not going to say anything else. Okay. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
we are back. Thank you for listening to episode 69 of Flex Fly Forever. Um, we have been the people you have been listening to. I am Brett. Mike is somewhere. George is somewhere else. We will be back in a couple of weeks when the playoffs are no longer going on and uh, I no longer have uh, high blood pressure and heart palpitations. And uh, that is uh, that is it. We are going to have some really awesome valuation stuff um, coming out for you at Baseball Prospectus in, uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, so look for that. And then we're going to be uh, starting up our... Uh, our um you know look to 2016 we uh we like to do that because that's what we do um so uh for myself mike and george have a pleasant evening and um yeah uh mike hit mute for a second on your computer oh are you gonna tell something to george what so you're gonna tell something to george I don't know. Are you are you muted? Can you hear me? I'm still hear you. I'm working on the muting. Ear muffet. Yeah, can you right. can you ear muffet for us, Mike? Go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. Fucking Johnny Quaid. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Mike, you keep you, you ear muffs. You're good. Uh, is he gone? Bye, Mike. <laughs> Bye, Mike. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Pete Rose. Bye-bye. I think that's how Royals fans felt last year. But now, look, they're back in the World Series, so it's hard to complain.
yeah, but there's another part of me that is sort of like, you know what? Like, I'm just so happy they're here, especially because if you told me in June that the Mets are going to be in the World Series, I would have done a dance. I'm like, are you kidding me? Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.